1: everybody. My name is Leslie Raymond. I direct the Ann Arbor Film Festival. So glad to be here today. You may know me uh, as the Ann Arbor Film Festival director, possibly. And what I'm really excited about right now is that we're making plans for our 60th film festival that's coming up at the end of March. It'll be March 22nd to the 27th. And we're planning for both an in-person and online event this year. So that's new. It's hybrid. And um there are all kinds of wonderful planning challenges that we're dealing with at every moment. So that's my life right now. Love it.
0: Leslie Raymond, welcome to the Make It podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. So glad to be here.
0: Thank you so much for that. And that is exciting. Finally being able to go to a festival in person. I know A lot of people, including Sundance, were disappointed that Sundance couldn't happen in person this year. Uh, Our friends down at uh, Indie Memphis created uh, some virtual screenings and some theater based screenings in Memphis for Sundance. So there's a lot of creative ways to sort of work around these times uh, as long as we can link hands and join each other and help each other out, which is kind of what this podcast is all about. Uh, Before we get too deep into the interview, I want to give the audience a deeper sense of who you are. So I'm going to read a little bit of a summary of your career, a bio, if you will. And as I always say, this is the internet. So if anything is incorrect or needs to be updated, feel free to amend to this or or correct anything that seems incorrect.
1: All right. Leslie
0: Raymond joined the Ann Arbor Film Festival as its executive director in August 2013. In September 2019, Raymond's leadership role expanded to include festival programming. Prior to her position with the Ann Arbor Film Festival as a teaching artist and educator, she founded the New Media Program at University of Texas at San Antonio and served as an assistant professor of art in digital video and new media art at Oakland University, where she was recognized with an Innovations in Teaching Award. Raymond is a Film Festival Alliance board member and a third-generation American of Chinese and Jewish descent. She holds a BFA in film and video from the Rhode Island School of Design, MFA in new genres from the University of Michigan School of Art and Design, and also studied film, video, and new media art at the Art Institute of Chicago. Wow, what a background. And By the time this conversation publishes, I think we'll be right upon or right before award season, Academy Award season. So I'd love to start by asking you what were the best movies or what are your favorite movies from
1: 2021? Oh, wow. You know what happened to me this year is I got really into Marvel. So Shang-Chi was right at the top of my list. Um, How that happened is an interesting little side story in that my husband is a museum exhibition designer and fabricator. And, uh, at the Henry Ford museum here in uh, Southeast Michigan, there was this Marvel comic exhibit from a company in Germany. And, um, during the pandemic, they weren't sure if this German company was going to be able to come over and take it down and move it to Chicago. So they hired my, my, um, husband's company yeah. to, um, you know, provide support and backup on that. And part of his research was that he wanted to watch a ton of Marvel movies. And, uh, um, I realized, you know, the more I watched, uh, the more I actually really started to enjoy them. Uh, some of them are much better made than others, obviously, but, um, just the universe that they create and the way they all, cross paths with each other and make references to each other. I just find it really rich and that the characters, so many of them are just very relatable. You know, there's a real human uh, aspect and dynamic to, to the characters in those films. So that, that's what the one that rises to the top of my mind right now.
0: I imagine that somewhere at the MCU, the Marvel comic universe, that they have a giant cork board, bigger than you've ever seen with a bunch of yarn and thumbtacks that connect each character and each storyline to each other, because I don't know how they keep up with it without making a mistake in the continuity. I really think that is the most complex part of it. Of course you would have, you know, the Scorseses of the world that would say, Hey, this isn't cinema. And I don't know how you feel Leslie, but I think he's right. But I think that people that go see those movies aren't anticipating cinema. So, I mean, you talked about Shang-Chi, like that bus scene is unbelievable. <laughs> that, that is a work of mastery to, to pull that off. And then when you find out how they pulled it off, you're just like, ah. Oh. I love little inside baseball like that. And when you go to festivals, Ann Arbor included, you kind of get that inside baseball and how certain films are made. And so I just love that. So to me, I'm with you. And I think the most complex thing about it is keeping up with those storylines and making sure that there isn't some sort of, you know, problem with
1: it. Right. That that's not going to match up with some other part of the storyline. Yeah. Right. It's interesting what you say about. Um, yeah. How do you how what do how do we think about what's film, you know, or what what's a, a film experience? How do we categorize it as you know mass entertainment versus an artistic expression? And, um, you know, as the director of the oldest experimental film festival in North America, it's definitely a topic of high interest to me. The type right. of work that we show at the film festivals, the uh, polar opposite of a Marvel movie. I, I, one of the things I'm fascinated with looking at the credits of the Marvel films is um, it's not just, you know, a hundred special effects people have worked on it, but thousands of special effect companies, you know, with yeah. hundreds of workers in each one. Yeah. And those credits, you know, just go by for miles. It's it's mind blowing Um the type of films that we tend to show are usually made by a single person.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> A single artist.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, a lot oftentimes they'll have a small crew. I mean, we'll sometimes show films that are a little larger in production scale, but I think what happens when um you it's like this sort of group think or uh, you know, in this large scale mainstream type of um film entertainment, it's a kind of um way where everybody's sort of coming together to put their energy and mind and creativity together to form like one large statement. Yeah. And it can speak to so many people because the message and the means and all that it has to bring together all of those elements. And so just by the very fact that hundreds of people are being um fused together in a way to create this expression. Um, You know, I think it represents much more a kind of um, element that's within the mainstream in a way. And at the same time, I think that they help to define the mainstream. Um, It's funny because being, uh, you know, having grown up kind of a punk rocker, punk rock kid and my husband, too, we um, a year ago on New Year's. We just we have a, a, a eleven year old and we stayed up for New Year's. This would have been you know going into twenty twenty one and my husband had this idea. Hey, let's watch Hamilton. We mm-hmm. you know have heard yeah. good things about it. Never mm-hmm. t- checked it out. So you know it was like oh it's on Disney. Hmm, we don't have a subscription to that. And it was funny because we were both like well as as seasoned you know, punk rockers, it's like Disney has been, you know, the evil giant, you know, all this time, you know, dealing with any kind of copyright issues or, you know, you you try to uh, appropriate and within fair use and, you know, they'll find you. And yeah. so it's always been like, oh, Disney, the evil company, who's going to um, sign up for that subscription? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, you, you have to do it because I direct an experimental film festival, (laughs) but we did, we, um, he did. And we watched Hamilton and then, and then um, shortly thereafter, we discovered, yes, the Marvel universe is available on Disney. On Disney. There ensued, you know, uh, um, a year of crazy binge watching of Marvel movies. And now our daughter is completely hooked. And she went from like, you know, the drama of any normal movie kind of is unsettling to her. And yeah, she didn't, she didn't like to watch movies, but then with this marble thing, she was like, I really want to watch these. And she would sit there on the couch and just literally shake in certain scenes, like, cause they're overwhelming, you know, Yeah, but I watched her, you know, force herself to acclimatize to the drama. And anyway, now she's a total, you know, Marvel geek uh marvel maven i don't know what you want to call it it's hilarious well
0: it's the criticism of the marvel films i guess is that they don't tell stories about human beings <clears throat> because because are superheroes or supervillains they're in situations that no real human being would be involved in so in a way uh i suppose it's a fair criticism but also it allows um it allows kids right to to dive into the to the content and into dramatic situations where I would imagine somewhere every kid knows okay but it's okay because these people don't really exist. This is complete this is I, I can be in a different place, try to understand something about how things work, how communication works, how problems are solved without the risk of in the reality of being you know, drawn right into a true human conflict. I mean, if I watch Spider-Man, I sort of understand the role that martyrdom maybe plays uh, in, in life, right. In the, you know, the, the penalty for making exceptions, whatever. I can learn that as a kid, which is much different than like watching the movie kids, <laughs> where, where now you're plunged into some real life stuff and you might really be paranoid to leave outside your house and, and deal with, with human beings in a right. real way. So, and by yeah, the way,
1: very true. Very totally
0: true. give in to the streaming because the way we look at it in business is uh, bundling and unbundling. That's all innovation is, okay? Everything's unbundled. If we bundle it, it's innovation, so right now we're in a phase of unbundling. Okay, everything's bundled in cable. Let's unbundle it and give people a choice, let them tailor their So then everybody's going to unbundle and then the biggest players are going to acquire everyone and then everything'll be rebundled again. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll call it innovation. It'll be on some new piece of technology and say like you can get,
1: capitalism. <laughs>
0: yeah, you can get you can get Disney, ESPN, Hulu and a 100 other things all for one price. And so we, that's all we do over and over and over again for hundreds of years as we bundle and we, and we unbundle. I'd love to take you back a little bit. You mentioned growing up and, oh, I want to drop a dime here for the audience listening. You've mentioned your husband a few times. Husband is Jason J. Stevens, and we'll talk a little bit about how you guys work together, but you can find him on the internet and a very interesting guy in his own right, uh, I want to take you back a little bit. You grew up with a potter and an architect. Uh, what was the best part of that? And uh, was there a moment growing up that you can remember that you knew you wanted to live a life in film?
1: You no, know, great question. Um, yeah, I I feel really fortunate to have the parents that I have, a potter mom and an architect dad, kind of these um. Archetypes, almost, of, you know, a masculine and feminine kind of um, idea, the builder, and then the person who creates vessels with earth. Um, And they're kind of true modernist artists. They came out of Cranbrook in the late 1950s. They met there. um, And
0: Cranbrook is a suburb in...
1: Um, it's Michigan, it's in the correct. suburbs of of Detroit, and mm-hmm. it's uh, it's a they ha, there's a well known um, art school there. They also have like a like a uh, college preparatory high school and whatever K through twelve, mm-hmm. and they have a art museum, a science institute, and things like that. That art school that's there um, is a graduate level program that became well known in the mid 20th century because they had people there like um, the Saarinen's, the famous architects, the Saarinen's, um, the Eameses, famous designers were there um, and, and other other people like that and and the way that it's it's structured it's it's not so much like you go and um, take classes but they have those teachers are more like artists and residents who are doing their work and then you yes. as the grad student, have your studio practice and you come together for critiques and things like that. So, um, uh, I actually had had the good fortune to go to that college preparatory school for high school and be, you know, on this incredible campus designed by the Sarinens with, um, Carl Millis sculptures and, wow. um, all, all of this. And my parents, they met there, but they, they, after, after they left Cranbrook. They went to Ann Arbor, taught at the University of Michigan. And then my mom got a, a grant to go to Japan. She, there had been a, one of the J- Japanese national treasure treasures who came to Cranbrook when she was there, a potter, and hung out with the students there and invited them. Said, if anybody wants to come to Japan and work in my studio, come on. And so she wow. got this grant. And she went and my dad followed her over there. He ended up working for Pacific Architects and Engineers in Tokyo. And she was at this, you know, this Potter's studio out in the country. And they spent a bunch of years uh, in Japan and traveling around Southeast Asia. Now, in the 50s, I don't think it was legal for a Jewish person and a Chinese person to actually be together. Mm. Um, Their families were like, wait a minute, this supposed to marry a chinese person chinese daughter and you're supposed to marry a jewish person jewish son (laughs) um and so they kind of escaped i guess i don't know if they would paint it this way but you know from my romanticized point of view they took off and they they ended up eloping in japan Uh, um and they did did as i mentioned travel a lot through southeast asia they at one point they got a vw bus uh in probably the early sixties. They, I would not say they were hippies, but they got a VW bus and they drove it all through India. They got it shipped to like the Southern tip of India. And then they zigzagged all around the country. Um, so they had this really rich, um uh, life BC as my mom puts it before children.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, done and,
1: um, way. you know, she was, um, at one point, they came back because she got a teaching job in, uh, at University of Washington to teach ceramics there. And and my dad, I guess he was going to take a little break, just go to the library every day and he got a telegram from Pacific Architects and Engineers, we want you to start an office in Bangkok. Mm-hmm. And he thought, oh, well, you know, I'm happy doing nothing right now. So uh, he telegrammed back jokingly saying, well, you got to offer me twice that amount. And then they did. So he's like, oh, I got to go. <laughs> and then my mom was like, well, I think I'm going to stay here. And then she told me that she took a look when she saw the look on his face. She's like, oh, I guess I got to go. <laughs> so they were pretty tied. You know, they both were, you know, grounded in their careers. But they had, a, you know, they had a lot of give and take around that. And so they went to Bangkok. And um, after a few years, my brother was born. And uh, my mom said, uh, yeah, they decided they, at a certain point, it just made sense to come back to the States. Um, And they ended up after going to St. Paul, Minnesota, where I was born, and then hopping over to Cleveland for a short stint, they came back to Southeast Michigan. Um, There's a really rich um, scene of, Potters in Southeast Michigan that are very chummy. And, Who knew? Yeah, right. So that that was a part of it, I'm sure. And then um, you know they ended up moving not too far from where Cranbrook is. And there's a as public school systems go, the public school system in that area is quite good. So I did that for a while. My brother and I did, and then at some point we made the switch and ended up at high school over at Cranbrook, which was pretty incredible.
0: Yeah, I can relate to that. My parents also eloped. Uh, My dad is German, white, I guess you could say, Uh, but who's adopted, brought over here from Fischbach, Germany, here to the States. And my mom is black. That wasn't really cool in the early 70s. And so, uh, although I'm not sure that was the motivation, but they they eloped. And then even, uh, there should be a documentary on VW buses, because my dad also had one and uh, was a bit of a hippie. He looked like Jesus Um, in the 70s. That's my visual of him. And uh, he used to roll his own bugler and all this stuff. And just like, I'm sure that that was sort of the thing to do in the 60s and 70s was to get a BW bug and go see the world on these new interstate systems that have been created in the last sort of 20 years. So it's, it's nothing that a kid today could fully understand, and that's why we probably need a, a documentary on it. Was there, was there a moment growing up with your parents where you sort of said, I love storytelling, I love film, I think I wanna live a life in film or I wanna teach film or anything like that?
1: Well, you know, I, as I grew up, I, it was normal to make art And I never really thought about it. Like, Ooh, I'm so passionate about doing this and continuing to do this. No, what really happened to me was in high school, I had assigned to me, um, my advisor happened to be the person who was the head of the art program. And, um, I wasn't, you know, I made art, but when I came into high school, I was a band kid. I played the flute and, uh, but my advisor was a cool person and I started to take her classes, her drawing, uh, painting, advanced drawing, photography um, and all the other art classes there mm-hmm. um, at, that they offered. And they have very robust uh, program. And then it was because it's college prep school, of course, there's always this idea, well, you're going to be going to college. And as it kept getting closer, <laughs> it's just like, oh, gosh, Miss Goodale. I don't think I can do another four years of writing papers. This is so hard for me. And she said to me, she goes, Oh, Leslie, it's simple. You'll just go to art school. (laughs) And I was like, Oh, huh. That's a way forward. So I remember coming home and telling my parents, I think I want to go to art school and they just looked at each other and they're like, well, we're not going to tell you no, but you know, it's going to be, it's not going to be easy. So, um, And my mom was great. You know, she was really, uh, I'm really fortunate because they were supportive and above and beyond that, it was like, Hey, I researched art schools, take a look at these and let's go visit some. And, um, I didn't know that I wanted to do film yet. Um, and at Rhode Island school design, they have it, they have it set up so that your first year is really a freshman, um, foundation kind of boot camp. Mm -hmm. where on Monday you have drawing from eight in the morning till five in the afternoon Mm -hmm. on Tuesday, you have art history in the morning and maybe an English class or something. And then you have 2d design the next day and 3d design the next day. And, uh, uh, I, I didn't know. I'm still during that period, just, you know, I'm a creative person. I feel confident and good making stuff. Um, am I doing this? Cause my parents are artists who knows, but um, I don't know. I think a friend sort of made a suggestion, like based on what I know, check out, maybe you should check out film. And I took uh, the short winter term um, class was uh, like a film diary class. And uh, I think I made a super eight film and we watched a lot of films and it was like, yeah, okay. I think this is it, you know, but it was never like I know exactly what I want to do and, um, it's always been more like I'm feeling my way around and just falling through the door. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> my guess is you're good at a lot of things, especially in art. So it makes it really difficult to sort of push all your chips in the, you know, into one medium.
1: Absolutely. And even, yeah. even going in that direction, I mean, it's always for me been very hybrid. I um, I was, you know, making films and video as I was learning how to work in those media. And uh and then I also figured out um, you know, I include the School of the Art Institute of Chicago part on my bio because I went I went there during my undergraduate studies. I went there for my junior year. And it was like all of my professors were artists first. And it was like, oh, this is, this is, I feel like I'm really, this is where my head is at. It's it, you know, at RISD, they didn't necessarily encourage you to be super experimental. They encourage creativity and learning your craft. Um, but when I went to Chicago, it was like, Oh, okay. What, how far can we push the medium to see what it's going to do? Or how can we explore it in different ways? So, um, when I went back to Rhode Island to finish uh, a final year and do a degree project. I went in a completely different direction. I don't think they knew what to do with me. Cause I said, <laughs> I'm going to make this giant installation instead with all these moving image elements to it. Yeah. And I did used film loops and video and monitors. And I mean, um, and I left, you know, I think when I left, people were sort of scratching their head, like hmm, <laughs> that was, <laughs> that was different. Um, and, Um, So I went on and kind of kept doing installation type work, you know, where you would say, come into a room that uh, had pancakes hung in a grid formation on all of the walls. And then there was a little viewer box that you could look inside that made a kaleidoscopic image. It had a projection projected uh, on the back of it. And when you looked in, you could see this image of somebody close up of their mouth eating pancakes and it would be all, you know, a kaleidoscope because of this little funny little box. So (laughs) doing things like that, you know, Uh, or giant pile of pancakes with a monitor inside of it and somebody eating pancakes that had this pancake phase for a while. Um, We know what we're
0: eating. If I come up to Michigan.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's (laughs) right. Maple syrup all the way. Yeah. Um, And then um and i was still you know playing with the medium of film you know i found it really fulfilling to like create a film and then enter it into festivals where it could kind of go on and have its own life without me i mean it is good to go to festivals if you can accompany your film but i found that really rewarding as opposed to like i'm setting up this giant installation and now it's here for a month and then it's gone so um I kept doing both things. And then when I met my husband, it was like, like everything you're in my life. So now you have to be part of my art project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I yeah. mean, he, in his own right, you know, he had a, a, a background in music and um, he was making art, interactive art. Um, and um, so we started collaborating together and making installations and um right after around the time nine eleven happened, a lot of people kind of did a, a a look at what am I doing, you know, and Similar that was moment a, now,
0: right?,
1: very much so. Like yeah. even more, I think <laughs> what am yeah. I doing? No. Um, at that time, what we decided was, hey, instead of like just we didn't completely stop doing installation work, but we developed a performance part of our collaboration so that we could be, you know, we could take our art out and be with people, perform it for people. And we moved into this area. It could be called AV performance or live cinema performance. They're expanded cinema performance, lots of different terms for it. And um, we would, my first uh, I would do at first the video mixing live and he would do sound mixing on his laptop. My first, rig was uh an analog mixer, the videonics MX1, where you could have four channels <laughs> yeah. in, and I would hook up VCRs and DVD players. Yeah. And then, you know, I'd have all my videotapes like queued up and all these DVDs. And you know, we'd do a show where um, you know, we basically kind of create a movie for you for the audience as as we went. Um, That's and cool. I yeah, I really I, I found that a really um, fulfilling way to work, you know, to be in relationship with an audience in a room and share something with them and be responsive to their energy. And um, and we did that for a while. Um, but really, I think at the time that I became a uh, film festival director and started to run a nonprofit, that was kind of the um, put an end to. A lot of things I was doing creatively. Um, yeah.
0: I think, uh, well, there's a lot to dig into there. But, <laughs> but in terms of just um, your husband meeting him and saying, hey, now you kind of have to be part of my world, not to be part of yours. That's exactly right. Because I, I think a mistake that creators make, we talk to them, they're like, well, I have a significant other. They're not an artist, but they don't get in my way. I actually think it's better if you can find someone who's really into your stuff without being a fan, not someone who's indifferent or just not in your way, Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, because Mm -hmm. there will
0: come a moment where you have to make a big play and you're going to need that person to understand why it's so important. So um, you also mentioned the film festival. Let's let's dig into that. So this is the year uh, that you celebrate the 60th anniversary of the, of this festival. Uh, do you have anything special planned for this year's festival considering that? And uh, uh, is there anything we should know about that just for those listening, if they want to come 60th anniversary, something that maybe you've done in the past that you'll do differently this year.
1: It's been a challenging year to plan. Mm-hmm for anybody. And for us we were thinking at the beginning of the summer like wow, okay, we have two pandemic festivals um in the can and boy, we're excited because it looks like we're going to be able to be in the theater next year. It wasn't right. it looks like it was like we're excited because we're going to be in the theater next year. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then um surprise delta. So, you know, I think as the landscape shifted to be not as rosy as we were all hoping, I had to do a, um, you know, that it's wherever you want to put your mind kind of thing where, okay, it's our 60th. Yes. It's a watershed year. It's important to have a big celebration, but you know what? Let's not worry about that too much. Let's just worry about having a festival. Let's try to have an in-person festival. Let's try to have a hybrid festival. And what's that going to be like? Um, In terms of the hybrid nature of the festival this year, our plan is to um, have most of the things that are going to be happening in person be online. So for people who know our festival, I think our shorts and competition programs are probably the most well-known thing that we do um we'll typically program about i don't know 120 shorts uh wow. into this year it's going to be 13 shorts and competition programs um and we have about uh 22,000 in, in award money that'll be um distributed by three jurors mm-hmm. a bunch of different awards um and then there're feature in competition programs and i think we have about 11 this year so um All of that is going to also be in the online uh, festival. Okay, we'll also have every year we have each of the three jurors present their own work, so that people can get a sense of like who are these people. That's (laughs)
0: interesting. Yeah, who's giving
1: the awards? And they because because we've been
0: juries, uh, jurors a bunch of times and. All we have to do is kind of provide our bio and a picture,
1: <laughs> right, right yeah, so, here we're like, nope, you got to prove it, <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah, yeah,
0: it's like getting verified on Twitter,
1: yeah, oh so those gosh. programs are always yeah. really strong, so we're gonna make sure that those are part of the online festival.
0: Mm-hmm. so the
1: thing that um you have to come to Ann Arbor to see, which is kind of the special part this year for for looking back at our history. Um, we typically will have a a series of what we call special programs, specially curated programs. So with our special programs this year, looking back at our 60 years of history, it's interesting because when you look back to see, you know, who has come back time and time again and been awarded over the 60 years, like it's true experimental film, I think is a, is a, is a genre that is much more, um, Open, it mm-hmm. has space for a diversity of stories, both the stories themselves and the way they are told. So, in our a- anecdotally, in our history, I think we've looked at ourselves as being diverse, as being open and welcoming to a wide variety of people. Um, we've had an out night for, I think this is our 21st out night, which is a celebration of LGBTQ film. Um, but when I started to look back at what are we going to do to celebrate 60 years? It was like, Hmm, you know what? So many of these people who've returned time and time again, guess what? They're Caucasian men (laughs) and we love our Caucasian men, but I would say really, I love a
0: good Caucasian man.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm married to (laughs) one. So I think. In the last um, half a dozen years, especially, we had a programmer, Katie McGowan, who came on around uh, 2016. Um, she's now the managing director of Kresge Arts in Detroit, but, um, and she had been at Museum of Contemporary Art Detroit before that. She, we were really at a point where we were opening up to full transparency. We want to make sure that our filmmakers who are submitting to us understand exactly what our process is and what to expect and how many films typically get submitted. How how does the review process work? And anyway, she came to us with a personal mandate that matched our mandate that we want to make sure that we are as diverse as we anecdotally think we are. Mm -hmm. So she really kind of helped us bust open the door on that. She got a Warhol foundation grant, for example, to um, program a series of, of and or invite curators to program a series of film shows that that focused on black diaspora work. And that uh, happened over the course of two years. We had maybe six different programs. That's just one example. And so we have been steering the ship deliberately in that direction. So how do you reconcile like, wow, look at our past and look at where we are now. And I think the thing is, you know, transparency, honesty, we can embrace our past. Um, you know, in a healthy way and recognize where we are at the present moment and be clear about where we're continuing to move. So with these special programs this year, that was the mandate that we gave to the curators that we invited. So for example, um, Julia Yazbek is has put together a show. Um, she's a, a, a local local to Detroit. She has a, a, a place called Mothlight Microcinema Cinema. It's not a bricks and mortar, but she and her partner do program experimental film and have these pop-up shows in Detroit. And she teaches at Oakland University um, in Rochester. Um, so we asked her, is there a way, you know, take a look at Richard Meyer's films. And he's somebody who is central to the Ann Arbor Film Festival. He's a bit regional, but his films, um, he's from Ohio, but his films um, were such an important part of our festival. And I don't know how far they've proliferated out in the world. Uh, but what we asked Julia to do is take a look at his films and and program something that could could include contemporary voices that have a relationship with what he did. Yeah. So that's one example. Another example is um, there's a program of work of past Ann Arbor Film Festival alumni. So um, we've had this Alum, uh, uh in uh, not alumni. I'm sorry, past Ann Arbor Film Festival interns. So okay. We've had this intern program since uh, probably for about 30 years, and so it's interesting to see like where some of our interns have ended up, and I think that's a great way to um to touch touch mm. into like younger voices, a, a broader diversity of voices, um, and then another example is. James Benning is one of those experimental filmmakers who in the 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, was solid. I mean, continues to be. He teaches at CalArts, still produces work, and was a major presence at our festival. Um, He had a daughter. He has a daughter, Sadie Benning, who is an artist in her own right, and uh, she teaches at Bard College now. I think she does a lot of painting. She may still be making moving, Moving Image, but she became known when she was a teenager she got this fisher price pixel 2000 camera the toy camera <laughs> and she made this series of incredible diary movies wow. uh, like uh, about her coming out and you know she she really became super well known the, her her work was never shown at our festival because for so many years we were like we're celluloid only we're not showing video but so we're not showing james benning's work As part, you know, that's part of our history, but we've made a space to show some of her work um, in a special program. So I think that in terms of celebrating our past, that's the real deal is uh, you got to come to Ann Arbor to get in on that part this year.
0: That sounds exciting. And if you love film, there sounds like an embarrassment of riches there for, for people who are film lovers. So. What are the dates for the festival again this year? You said March 22nd. Is that correct?
1: March 22nd to the 27th.
0: March 22nd to the 27th. All right. There you go. People listening, you know what to do. That's right. Um, and
1: you can go online and, uh, and check it out, too.
0: Absolutely. Um, what's been your biggest festival success since you became director in 2013? And what's been the biggest challenge?
1: all of the nut, all the unsexy stuff. (laughs) (laughs) When I started, I had just came out of, um, teaching for 14 years. I was teaching at, uh, uh, started at university of Michigan and then went to university of Texas, San Antonio, as you mentioned, and then was at Oakland university back here in Michigan. And I was teaching digital media and video, you know, in, in art. And so, I kind of came in through the side door with this job because um, I've been involved off and on. Well, since the 30th was my first year, the 30th Ann Arbor film festival, I've worn a lot of different hats, volunteering and um, um, you know, showing my work and arranging for um, uh, to get artists here to do installations and storefront windows to help, you know, boost up the festival aspect, you know, the celebratory aspect of the festival. So um, as director, uh, I somehow convinced myself, like, I think I can do this. My, 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 uh, appointment at Oakland university came to an end and they were looking for an, an ed at the film <laughs> festival. And I was like, I was so naive. I was like, what does ed mean? Is that education director? But <laughs> 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 I started to talk to people hmm. at that, that year. Um, it was the 51st Ann Arbor film festival. And just like, huh. I wonder if I, maybe I should apply for that. And every single person that I talked to said, oh, that's a great idea. You'd be great at that. Oh, the festival will be so lucky. And nobody was like, oh, you'd be totally nuts, you know. <laughs> and so I convinced myself, well, whatever I need to do to, to do the job, I'll, I can, I'll figure it out. Because the way that this festival uh, can kind of get it under your skin and become a part of you, like I know that happened to me. Um, and I see it happen to other people. There's mm-hmm. a way that it um it opens up your mind in a way about what creativity is, how it can be, and how 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 it can be communal too. I think that's a really mm-hmm. important aspect of it. Yes. So I felt driven and you know, that there was some serendipity to this opening when I was looking. To do for what to do next, and um, I guess I convinced myself well enough that I convinced the board, and they hired me to do it. And yeah, um, yeah it really was there. Had, they they skipped one year with an executive director. The the somebody had had left after the fiftieth. They went the fifty first without, and so there wasn't anybody really to say. Well, this is exactly what you need to do. It was like hmm, okay, here is a a timeline <laughs> with all the functional areas of kind of the general what needs to happen in each month okay september sponsors okay oh here's a spreadsheet of sponsors i guess i'll call them all <laughs> you yeah. know so i really um had to triangulate and and just kind of learn how to do the job it was um i feel like it was a little bit of a detective job to 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 learn that one of the hardest things for me Was coming into this job and just having to learn how to manage people. I'm still learning. You know, I would say it's just not easy in general. And it's not something that I really ever had to do. I mean, it's different working with students versus working with a paid staff. So that's always been a a challenge. Learning how to manage the financials. Like, I couldn't read uh, a financial statement when I started. Fortunately, we had a really strong accountant uh, when I, when I began who supported that. And over time I learned, Um, I think, working with the board has been one of the greatest pleasures of doing this job besides getting to watch all of these incredible films and um, think about them deeply and put them together into programs. That's by far the most rewarding part, but I will say it was a surprise to to learn what it is to work with a board um, and be given some really good advice at the outset of, you know, the way you want to treat your board members is like, They are your mother-in-law who just offered to take care of your kid for a couple hours. (laughs) Everybody is busy and they're going to do the best job they can. Are they going to do exactly what you wanted? Probably not. And I would say, you know, that really helped set me on the right course. That and just knowing that, you know, they were the brain trust of the organization. And when I first started, it was like, okay, I have 13 boss mentors here. So I can lean on them because I have knowledge gap and they're going to help support. So... And it's, it's totally a not sexy part of you know the film festival world. And anytime I talk about it, my husband is like, "Oh, nobody wants to know about that." You know, just talk about the films. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's it's good because there's probably people in 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 the uh, audience here, the listeners here, that would go out and start their own film festival. Even so, just to hear what that's all about, I think is important, especially in this in this context. What's been the uh, impact? of having Ken Burns and Michael Moore as advisory board members?
1: Yeah, uh, Ken is really so lovely. Um, so I've had a chance to talk to Ken a few times and he's he's just really quite lovely and supportive of the festival. Um, and the work he's doing outside in the world with, with all of his productions is quite incredible. There's a funny anecdote. I feel like I don't remember where, uh this quote comes from but he did say because he was here in ann arbor when he was in high school and he went to the festival with his dad a lot he said i saw my first boobs on the screen at the ann arbor film festival
0: (laughs) i I read that That, that's a quote on twitter and and yeah he saw his first set of breasts at the ann arbor film festival (laughs) but he didn't describe them (laughs) That's the only problem. We don't know what kind of breast he saw. Yeah,
1: he's got the image <laughs> seared into his mind.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've heard a few Ken Burns interviews. He couldn't be more humble and gracious. And yeah, what a what a wonderful creative, and um, he, he's a he's a Hall of Famer in in my eyes, and I'm sure the eyes of, of many many others. Um, you're also a member of the Final Girls. Um, can you tell us? what the final girls are and and what it's meant to you yeah. to be a part of the group.
1: Well, I, I am not a super active member presently. Um, it's been a couple of years really since I've been active with them. Oh, okay. um, so I know that they were a part of the film fatale group. Uh, I guess there are a lot of different, um, chapters throughout the, the States and beyond. Um, they decided to call themselves a different name and uh, they were having um, regular get togethers. They probably still are where women in the film industry in Southeast Michigan were coming together. We, you know, come together to talk about what people are working on, Mm -hmm. what people might need uh, some help with or any help that they can uh, offer. And for me as the film festival director, I think, it was really important to create some ties to our local, um, local chapter of that film fatale slash, um, final girls group. Um, just to understand, you know, what's going on in, um, in the creative lives of our filmmakers here watching the, uh, there were film incentives, in the state of Michigan that went away. So when I was an active part of the group, you know, being able to hear how that was impacting um, those artists. Um, Yeah. People who had um, retrained, you know, gone to school so they could work in film and started to um, make inroads in the industry here. And then those Hmm. film incentives to go away. That was a period that was really hard um, because, you know, you can imagine having just invested a lot of time and energy in a whole new career and that sort of you get the rug pulled out from under you. Um, that was really uh, a trying time. Um, but it's great to really get to see this, uh, this group that supports each other and comes together on a regular basis. Um, and to provide that kind of community, so they are—they um, have still been a community partner of the Ann Arbor Film Festival, and every year we um, we make a, a attempt to pair them with a film that resonates, you know, with themes that they embrace and um, identify with.
0: Very, very good stuff. Um, you've been quoted as saying, "Experimental film isn't just for diehards." anyone could enjoy it as long as they're made to feel welcome. Can you expound upon what you mean?
1: Yeah. Thanks for asking. Of course. Um, Yeah. I think in our country, in our culture, let's say, I think in our culture, we, we have this interesting relationship with contemporary art where it's like this rarefied thing that exists over there in museums. uh, And there's a certain culture around it. That's maybe, um, you know, a little snooty and like your average everyday person. And, and I, I've heard uh, somebody say this before, like as I was installing with my husband's speakers outside of a gallery, we were up on ladders and had a show that we we're installing and people were walking by and they're like, Oh, why would I want to go in there? In there, I would feel really stupid. You know, like this idea that you need this, <laughs> you need to have studied art in order to appreciate it. And I, I would say that the art industry doesn't necessarily do a great job at like opening the doors wide open.
0: Yeah, sometimes it's not about inclusion of different sexes or genders or races. Sometimes it's intellectual inclusion.
1: That's right. That's right. Absolutely. And I think that there's a great opportunity with film because of the nature of its exhibition. That is a communal experience. And it's typically like, you know, to go see the Van Gogh, uh, uh, exhibition, you might have to buy a $20 ticket or something like that, Okay. or right. to, to go to the DIA and see a special art exhibition, or you need to be a member, you pay whatever your admission is Right. for the film, for going to see a film. It's the cost of admission to a film ticket, you know, mm-hmm. um, which is typically maybe a little bit more accessible, let's say, but, um, I think that what people need to understand is that we all have the power to look at something and have an experience with it. Like mm-hmm. whether that's a painting, a sculpture, uh, go hear a symphony or whatever the case may be, but we're so we've gotten this sort of like ringed out of us, wrung out of us <laughs> that, mm-hmm. you know, you need to study it. You need a special language or, you know, whatever the case may be. So it's a kind of like Martin Luther saying, you know, actually you don't need a priest to talk to God. You yourself can do that without the intermediary. I think it's the same thing. You can walk up to a painting on a wall and look at it and you're going to have a thought or a reaction or a feeling or an emotion or it might remind you of a dream you had or a conversation. And I think that, the whole thing with these experimental films that we show at the festival, it's not only do you kind of meet the artist at the screen as you're watching the work and you have permission to hear yourself. That's the first Mm -hmm. thing that people need to know. You have permission to hear yourself. And then when it's over, you can turn to your friend you brought with you or walk out in the lobby and just walk up to somebody. What did you think of that one film? You know, Mm -hmm. and compare notes. And I think that the work, Kind of acts as a um, as a as a base, you know, from which you can then plug into, um, you know, other other people, other and kind of create a relationship based out of conversations that come out of the work as an exploration, as opposed to like, "Hi, where are you from? You know, what's your what's your story? Where'd you go to school?" It's like. You've got like this other thing that exists outside of two people that you can look at and 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 consider.
0: Do you do a lot of your experimental film work at the Potter Belmar Lab, or is that for something else?
1: Potter Belmar Labs was the name of and still is the name of Jason and my collaboration. And we named it that because that was the street corner we lived on at Potter and Belmar.
0: That's great. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it's awesome. And I think you should look up a young lady, brilliant young lady, named Dicey, D-Y-C-E-E, Dicey Wildman. So, wild man. And she puts on a festival, experimental film festival every year called Defy. She breaks her neck to do it. And I'm really proud of her and and always support her every year that she does this but if you ever can make it down to the south stop by the defy film festival it happens in august every year i think you'd really enjoy their selection of films and the whole vibe in general it's small you can meet every single person that attends it and i'll be there so (laughs) that's awesome if that's at all a bonus for you uh
1: totally is
0: I'd love to take you through some speed round questions, if that's cool with you.
1: Okay, let's do it.
0: All right, here we go. What are the two best pieces of advice you've received so far in your career? And who did they come from?
1: Oh, my gosh. Two best (sighs) pieces. They came from former Ann Arbor Film Festival board chair, Ruth Bardenstein, And she told me, number one, the thing about your board members, treat them like they're your mother-in-law and be grateful and be respectful. And the other was, show me your budget spreadsheet. Okay, put a new column. Every time your accountant comes in, update the column with the new numbers every week. (laughs)
0: Honestly,
1: (laughs) those are the two best pieces of advice. Also not sexy, but...
0: Lifesavers, right?
1: But lifesavers, yep.
0: Absolutely. Um, You've been in art your entire life. Which creatives do you most admire in film? Which which do you want to uh, emulate? David Lynch?
1: David Lynch pops right to mind because he's so masterful in that medium in terms of shifting and changing the reality. You never know where you are. Are you in a dream? Are you in the story? Are you in someone's memory? And as soon as you think you know, he'll pull a rug right out from under your feet. And I love that.
0: Yeah. He's a master at that because you can get in trouble by doing that to the audience. If you do it at the very end, for example. And it's the only time you did it in the entire story because then it ends up being this DSS ex machina approach that can sometimes (laughs) cheapen the the journey of the story where it's like, I don't have a way to creatively write myself out of the problems I've created for these characters. Oh yeah. Ah, I can fix this.
1: Right, everybody's (laughs) actually dead and went to heaven. (laughs)
0: Right, exactly. (laughs) So you have to be careful, but David Lynch is an absolute master at that. Um, What are the biggest creative and business mistakes you see newcomers making. I know you're around a lot of new and young filmmakers.
1: Hmm. Um, I think young artists and, and everybody around them, we need to make sure artists get paid. This is a big deal in film festivals right now. Mm -hmm. And the Ann Arbor film festival, um, we started two years ago, uh, to pay films in competition. And we're trying to work our way up to, there's a standard from, um, in Canada that's set for what kind of film rental fees should be. Um, and so we're trying to use that as our baseline, but, um, because of the economic landscape and how it's changed in the last say 10, 15 years, I mean, the gap between the haves and have nots is, 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 bigger than it's been in a long time, you know, wealth concentration at the top. We all know the story and it's the same for artists. And whereas before it would be like, well, um, we we don't we don't pay artists for exhibiting in our competition program, just mm-hmm. like any jury type of an art program in the in in our country. You send your slides in or your film, it gets reviewed and then you have a chance at being shown and, and getting an award. Well, I don't think that flies so well anymore. So we're trying to be more equitable and encourage others to do so. And I think that artists need to advocate for themselves and Um, I would encourage people to ask for screening fees. Don't be surprised if you get, sorry, we can't do that. My advice would be to be as, as respectful as you can to make your case and be patient about it. You know, Mm -hmm. um, I think it's important for say just film festivals to hear from the filmmakers, but to do it in a, in, in a respectful way.
0: Yeah. It's like learning the lesson that your dad taught you without really teaching you. No, I'm not going to do it unless you can pay me double. Okay, we'll pay you double. <laughs> like like sometimes you just have to believe that you're worth a thing and then see what the response is. And I know for me starting out there was a a a heaping helping of imposter syndrome where it's like, I can't ask for that fee. Who am I? Or like I'm not worth that. And then I learned to that man, I actually am worth that. And I got that confidence through feedback from others around me uh, saying, oh, you're this. I was like, no, I'm not. Yeah, you are. <laughs> like, okay, God, maybe yeah. I should be asking for these, for what I'm worth. And, and, and by the way, that's also okay, too. Because I think as artists, we say, oh, it's not okay uh, that I ask for this because I'm supposed to not care about money yeah. or anything because I'm an artist. And that's right. just not... True. There's a great line in the in the French Dispatch, which is the Wes Anderson movie that came out a few months ago where Adrian Brody um, is in this conversation um, (laughs) with um, oh, I'm losing the actor's name. I love Benicio Del Toro and Benicio Del Toro is this great artist. And uh, he says, (laughs) Adrian Brody says to him, I'd like to buy your art. And Benicio says, it's not for sale. And Adrian Brody says, yes, it is. And they go back and forth. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. And eventually Brody says, you're an artist. If you didn't want to sell your piece, why even make it? <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's one of these interesting things that opens up a philosophical question, which is sometimes you're making the art as an end unto itself. But I know from a you know, deep experience with creatives, we also want people to appreciate it almost every time. We want someone to appreciate the thing that we made. And a lot of times that's going to happen through sharing it. And through sharing it, you almost need to sell it so you're not exploited.
1: Yeah, it's so complex because there's so much freedom for an artist in working outside of that money mindset, you know? Yeah, And that as soon as that you start to put the clamps on things can get distorted, but I think it is so important to recognize that that cultural creation, it's not a zero sum game. I mean, just because someone's passionate about making a thing or working for a film festival doesn't mean it's not worth anything that it should be like zero. I can't tell you how many times when I'm looking at um, uh, the entries on the film freeway site. And one of the questions that filmmakers can answer is production budget Mm -hmm. and how many times are single experiment, you know, experimental artists, they'll just put zero, you know, they won't think their time is worth money and it is a conundrum. Like I said, I think it has to do with the freedom of existing outside of the system and having the freedom to make and create and do. And it's like, yeah, I woke up in the morning and I just stopped in the studio and painted a little bit and then I did the next thing and I went back. It's like who's counting the minutes and the hours? It's just part of my life, but I think we need to figure out how to help people value their um their creativity and the time that they put into the things they do, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not zero. It's not zero. You spent time on it. You know, you bought materials probably for it. You've got uh, a film camera, a video camera, you know, if you were a production house out there, you, you would have a fee for how much, yeah, I mean, probably be built into your daily fee or whatever, but you better be sure the cost of that camera is a part of your daily fee. So yep. it's just so hard for artists. <laughs>
0: yeah, hard. As, as a, as a EP, there are a lot of executive producer of, a, of several features. There is a couple of tests that you can run to find out if you should invest so we get a lot of deal flow and read a lot of screenplays and, you know, it's kind of like a 99 to 1% sort of no to yes ratio. Unfortunately, just because of like, you know, things as simple as too many grammatical errors or, or, you know, a really bad act too or whatever, but there are tests. And one of the tests that's interesting is, is okay. How much does your film cost? Uh, it's $200,000. dollars i was say, well, what if it were two to five million dollars? Let's 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 bump that budget up to to three to five million dollars, and then let's do it. Oh no, I don't I don't want that kind of exposure. I don't want to do it. Uh, we like it at this budget. You'll make your money back faster at this. But I was like, no, you won't. You won't. It's easier to make your money back at three to five million than at two hundred thousand. It's not intuitive, but it's the truth. Cause once you're at a certain budget level, then you can get a certain type of distribution that makes your money back at 200,000, you're going to get a services deal. And you're going to get six cents per every hour and a half watched on Amazon and you and it's going to be a long slog. Um, so I love that test because it reveals whether or not the artist believes in the script they wrote and their execution, because on the first meeting, where they give you the screenplay, it's their baby. It's all they've been working on. They know they can do it. But then when you say, hey, we're going to go into debt here, $5 million. Then it's, I don't believe in it that much. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't think I can do that. I'm I'm willing to lose your $200,000, but I'm not willing to lose a shared 5 million, right? So it's a really interesting test, good test. resources. I'm curious as an executive director, are there online resources, maybe a top three that you can share for helping filmmakers, helping creatives, or even helping experimental film uh, makers?
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, One thing that popped to my mind is the Film Festival Alliance. It's uh, Mm. uh, you know, a, um, our national professional organization for film festivals. Mm-hmm. Um, and I recommend for any film festival to check it out. We just had a, 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 a conference. I think it was last week. They do an a, at least one annual um, national conference, and they'll do a lot of regional ones. Um, it was online this last time, mm-hmm. but it's such a great uh, forum to converse with your peers um, yeah. And and it's such a particular business, you know, or, yeah. or, or model um, that it, it it's really helpful. And we had all of our staff um, attended various things. So our marketing person checked out lots of marketing things, development, and our operations person was really grateful to be able to go to a session on, um, uh, you know, going back to in-person and what does that mean, you know, on the front of, you um, COVID protocols and being able to benefit from all of these other people in the field who've been doing, doing that. Um, mm-hmm. So film vessel Alliance is one thing that pops to mind. Um, other resources. Um, hmm. For for experimental filmmakers, I would really encourage people to check out our upcoming film festival. I think we had 2,800 submissions this year. Wow. I'm blown away by how much incredible work there is, you know, every year I am. But in What's particular... What's the website for that? This year, it's aafilmfest.org.
0: aafilmfest.org. I think I had that already, but thank you for clarifying that. Yeah,
1: absolutely. But... I think the work that you're going to see there uh, will be inspirational. It will be revealing, compelling, uh, raise questions. It will, um, uh, some of it is just so beautiful to look at. Uh, And it's a, what we try to do is program a, a good variety as in all those shorts and competition programs, our style is to try to um, mix it up between experimental documentary, experimental narrative, experimental animation, um, and have some of each in every program. We don't tend to um, like title our different. In competition programs, we want to leave it as open as possible so that the audience can come to their own conclusions without really being led down you know, a a theme or a topic in particular. Um, We do have a couple of programs that are genre-oriented-ish. One is music video. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of strong music video work this year, so we're going to do a music video program. We have uh, one program dedicated to experimental animation. We've got our out night program celebrating lgbtq work and then we have one called almost all ages that's designed for uh to be attention span and content appropriate for people ages six and up and we do Mm -hmm. find that adults really love this program too it's a very accessible one um, and a great way to get your feet wet in experimental film if if that's a little bit of a daunting prospect for you
0: that's perfect that's perfect well, Leslie, I have to tell you, I feel educated. I feel motivated. I'm ready to go conquer this, uh, this weekend and conquer the world in the most creative way possible thanks to you. Can, can you tell everybody where they can find you on social media, find you on the internet, uh, discover more about the Ann Arbor Film Festival, anything related to it at all?
1: Sure. Yeah. Our website is a great clearinghouse, aafilmfest.org. We are on Facebook and Twitter uh, and LinkedIn um, at aafilmfest. And we've also got an e-news. If if you want to get something coming into your inbox, uh, we typically do it once a month. And then as we get closer to festival time, we'll start putting out missives uh, a little more regularly than that. But if you go to our website you can sign up for the e-news pretty easily it's pretty clear how to do that so
0: any places where we can find you if people want to reach out to you directly
1: um you can reach out to me directly i think my email address is right on the website it's just leslie at a
0: perfect all right so living dangerously I, email. Be careful. <laughs> so you guys listening know
1: after the festival <laughs> we're gonna write to things are off the hook.
0: <laughs> You guys listening know what to do. Uh, we'll end on this. Have you ever had to uh, use or had the opportunity to use your skills in kung fu and tai chi?
1: <laughs> hmm. I haven't had to use those skills in any kind of a dangerous situation. I'll just say that. But I was walking down a slippery forest path last week and mm-hmm. my feet slipped out from under me and I somehow managed to right myself and land in a squat on my left leg without. <laughs> <laughs> I think is due to all of that training. Um
0: I'm imagining yeah. <laughs> you doing a backflip and landing gracefully on one foot in a squat position with your arms perfectly out, <laughs> kind of like this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ready to crane kick anybody That's that comes right. towards you. I love it. And, and no, <laughs> Leslie, I love this conversation said, as well.
1: Yeah, we Go do. Ahead. I- I was just gonna say my teacher, one of my teachers always said your best defense actually like just run, you know, just get out of there. Don't confront because that's when you really get into trouble.
0: (laughs) I agree. When you're a kid, you always worry, oh, what are they going to say? Because I ran. When you're an adult, you're like, to hell with this. (laughs) I I think in 2019, I announced to the world that like the number one rule I'm going to live by is avoid crazy. So if I see crazy (laughs) over there, like 10 feet away, I'm just going another direction. Yeah. Even if I need to go over there. For an errand (laughs) or something, I'm going the other way. We'll just do that tomorrow. It's okay. That's a great survival
1: mindset. I love that.
0: No, it's avoid crazy. I think it applies potentially in 2022 as well. Uh, Leslie, this has been a wonderful time. I really appreciate it. And thank you for all your thoughtfulness and your time. And I hope that we get a chance to cross paths soon at the uh, Ann Arbor Film Festival or at the Defy Film Festival down here in Nashville.
1: Well, terrific. Christopher, it's been a wonderful conversation and thank you again for inviting me.
0: Anytime. I'll talk soon. Okay. Be good.
1: You too. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.
0: You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find out more information about this week's topics, including links to relevant blog posts, projects, and indie creatives, please visit our website at www.banzai.film. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative and the show will pop right up. You now have the opportunity to support the production of this podcast. If you love Make It and are a true fan of what we're trying to accomplish in the indie film community, please visit www.bonsai.film and click Contribute contributions start at only five dollars monthly. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. You can provide feedback to us via email at contact at bonsai.film and you can follow me, Chris, on Twitter at Flaming Your Heart. That's F-L-A-M-E-I-N-U-R-H-E-A-R-T. And of course, If you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on services to explore a variety of offerings from keynotes and panels to pitch readiness assessments and so much more. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for
1: listening.